capitalism has created the highest standard of living ever known on earth. The evidence is incontrovertible. The contrast between West and East Berlin is the latest demonstration, like a laboratory experiment for all to see. Yet those who are the loudest in proclaiming their desire to eliminate poverty are the loudest in denouncing capitalism. Man's well-being is not their goal. These are the words of Ayn Rand in a 1966 collection of essays whose cover bears the title, Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. The biggest lie was the market economy that blinded us with the glory of prosperity and freedom. The deck was dealt, and we all lost. On our knees, in the dirt, hoping for salvation. And then we look, and there are golden drops of dawn, functioning as oral sagas, keeping us shackled, making glory of the lies that the spectacle provides us with. So as we sit tight, and enjoy the soap operas that are designed to keep us bleeding out of our eyes and keeps us nodding and sighing. There is still hope in the petrol bomb and in it, the revolution. These are the words in the liner notes of a 1998 record by a Swedish punk band called Refused, whose cover bears the title, The Shape of Punk to Come. Welcome to Punkorama, ladies and gentlemen, where we are dedicated in our endeavor to get to every epitaph ever, where we wax poetic on nostalgia and aesthetic. So welcome aboard from your podcast warlord. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for tuning in and listening. Uh, I am your host to the podcast warlord, Ken Wilhelm, and uh, with me today, my guest has probably had an impact on an artist or band you love and you wouldn't even know it. He's the host of his own podcast called Managemental. That's correct. Uh, and in the music biz, one can only assume they call him Magic Mike Mowry. Is that true? Uh, usually not, but... Uh, it's usually been, not. It's been dropped once or twice. Has it? Yeah, you know. All right. It, it must have been. Only when I make it rain. When you make it rain? Yeah, baby. And that happens all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Mike, thanks, thanks again for coming in, and uh, thanks for choosing this record, and I do mean that with the utmost sincerity, because this is, uh, <laughs> somehow unbeknownst to me, one of like the fucking most important punk records like ever put out, and this completely slipped through my fingers for somehow, I have no idea why. But before we get to all the stuff about that, uh, we're in DC right now, this is the third of the recordings I'm doing here. Uh, are you from here? Where Where did you grow up? I'm not from here. My dad was in the army, and okay. I moved around a lot. And then I ended up finishing school in California. Okay. So I started school elsewhere, and then I sort of had this epiphany and went west and fell in love with the water and the mountains and, sure. of course, a girl. And um, I stayed there, uh, finished school there, and then a friend of mine that – Lit was from DC. He was yeah. actually from Rockville. You know, we're in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is DC we're, adjacent. We're getting technical here, okay. but uh, you're right, the greater DC area. So he and I met when we lived in Atlanta, mm -hmm. and then he was moving back here, uh, or had moved back here, and invited me to move here and help him with a recording studio. And then we started a punk hardcore band and toured all over the world. So okay. That was 20 years ago. Actually, it was interesting because this record is almost 20 years old. Yeah. It's about 19 years old, and, and it came out. I was trying to think of the timeline of when it came out because I first heard it when I lived in California. Right. But then I saw them on their last tour before all the reunion stuff 
1998 here on the East Coast. I saw them at the Black Cat here in D.C. Okay. And then their very last, and I'm doing air quotes, quote, unquote, yeah. um, show in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So, so like you were saying, you were you were moving around a lot. Uh, I, I guess army brat is the word for it. Right? Exactly I don't know if that's right. like that's a, the a pejorative or not. But like, so how did you get your music when you were younger? I mean, it, my story is so wild and, and I mean, it's not that wild. It's like everybody else's story. Sure. I had a skateboard. I met another kid with a skateboard, but we lived in Korea at the time. Oh, okay. Uh, on a military base and a guy from DC, his dad was in the army. He lived in DC, moved over there and had all these straight edge hardcore records. And we'd kind of tangentially through skateboarding, like I wasn't even really into punk, I, I, you know, like we heard some stuff that we thought was interesting, but it was like, in the late 80s, it was all mainstream kind of heavy metal, that okay. sort of track. And then this guy moved over with, you know, Minor Threat, Youth of Today, like, you know, the entire Discord catalog and sure. the entire Revelation catalog to date and all the, you know, small sort of uh, sister labels. And we were, you know, I was hooked. I was blown away. Right. The energy was just unrivaled in anything that I'd ever seen or heard. So this this dude like played this key role to something that I mean, yeah, you weren't into skateboarding and so you might have tangentially gotten into it otherwise, but this was this was the this was the breaking open point for you for all that stuff. And so after after hearing that, like how how did you go about get like buying and getting records? Like how does that work? Yeah, so we I moved from Korea. Uh, mm-hmm. We tried to mail order stuff, and you know oh, the way it works. That. You know if you're in the military, they give you sort of this uh, fake PO box, so you can get stuff shipped. If you live abroad, you can get stuff shipped like you live in the states. Like it's the same cost. Okay. So you oh know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the late eighties, you know, seven inches were like three bucks plus whatever it was for postage, a dollar or something. So we would order a bunch of stuff. But the problem was, you know, and this is before all the age of accountability and, and the internet and whatnot. So things just took forever mm-hmm. to come if they ever came. Right. Uh, luckily my buddy Chris, um, who I'm still friends with today and actually lives in the area as well. He kept in touch with a lot of his friends from high school. Uh, he was still in high school, but from his earlier year, and they would send tapes. Mm-hmm. So really it was so much about like cassette tapes that were just, you know, banned on, you know, seven inch into seven inch into seven inch into seven inch. Um, and so then I moved to Kansas of all places because military bases are usually in the worst um, possible locations. <laughs> and so that's when I started going to record stores the closest one, the closest good one was in Lawrence, which is about an hour, hour and a half from my house. Uh, so we would drive down and try to find stuff and finding shows was even harder than finding records. What was that place in Lawrence like? Uh, Do you remember the name of it? Oh man, I am, uh, you will find, I have a terrible memory. That's okay. Um, I blame the internet and, sure. and my job, uh, which, uh, you know, you just have so much information in your brain and, and uh, I don't remember what it was like. It was like in a little bit of a strip mall. Okay. Um, but it was cool. They had a ton of stuff. I mean, there was a few of them, but there was one that we sort of figured out, me and a couple other guys that lived in the little military base area who we also skated um, there. You know, we would make a road trip, I don't know, maybe once every three months. Okay. And we just like, you know, go in and look in the punk hardcore section. And, you know, back then it was all about, what did you see on a thanks list? What did you see on somebody's T-shirt on the back of another record? That's kind of, oh, you know, one of the prevailing threads of this show has been like, you know, find how how do you how do you find out about other bands, uh, you know, before like Spotify Discover and things like that. 
uh, and like liner notes is one of them, compilations and them. But like, who's wearing the fuck another band shirt like on in the record or in the photos? Like that's crazy. That's absolutely uh, another way of doing it. Wow, I didn't think about that. It is crazy, and and the shirt thing oh, is man. is like this recurring, uh, or maybe not recurring is the right word, but I mean. It was back then and up to a very certain point where if you saw somebody with a shirt, yeah, you know, yeah. that only people who were in the know would know, like, they were your friend. Yeah. Or at least you were walking up and talking to them sure. and saying hi. And it was just... So shirts, I think, they played a pretty big role in my life. I mean, that's how I learned to screen print. We screen printed our own shirts. We figured, you know, we're bootlegging. I'm, again, I'm using my quotes. Uh without you know just for our personal yeah, needs yeah, yeah. but it was it's it's pretty fascinating to think back on those times and it seems like a long time ago cause yeah it, because it was <laughs> <laughs> so so that was like the that was like the music shop you would go to and you'd, you'd only be able to go or like well you would at least go like once every three months and then uh when you were out in california do you remember where you went there was there like a t like there's tower was out there like there's yeah i mean I, I wasn't really ever into kind of the bigger stores it's okay. not i mean by then by the time i was in california this is mid 90s you okay. know i think i moved there in january of 95. um i mean there was even you know i moved to santa barbara and a small label called ebullition was based in galita which is next to santa barbara and the owner there had a distribution company, so he would have tons of records. So it was like, we would go down to his place and he would essentially kind of tell you what was new and what was cool. It was almost like you had this curated, yeah. you know, Spotify playlist, <laughs> if you will. You had this guy who was very knowledgeable about music, kind of knew what each person wanted. But then if we went down to Southern California, um, like into LA or Long Beach or Huntington Beach, Huntington Beach had this place called Vinyl Solution um, which was very well known. Uh, occasionally we get into Revelation Records because Revelation, much like Ebullition, not only had the label side, but has a distribution side. Right. And so they would have so many records in there um, as well as shirts and all of those things. So Right, and all the merch things. So, yeah, I mean, th the idea of like uh, having access to all that, like that's, that's like not something everyone kind of gets but also like the idea of like that dude who was you know ostensibly curating that like that's that's like what we see is like people that's like the cool older brother who's like exposing you all this stuff what you like this check this out and all that good stuff um and yeah was, as uh, your buddy uh jimmy who i was talking to like his dad like just was into all that stuff so like the exposure and like who gets you into that stuff that's huge so we're in california at this point at least in in the telling of the story and you were saying this is around the first time that you heard the shape of punk to come yeah so you know refused was i guess i should back that story up sure. i i went on tour in europe in the summer of 1995 uh -huh. with a canadian straight edge band called chokehold okay and it was pretty amazing they were friends when we, i lived in atlanta they came and recorded down there and we became friends with them and they had this guy who was their quote-unquote roadie friend that you know they took everywhere and i will never forget the phone call because the, the guy from choco my buddy jeff called me and said hey Ange can't go on the tour you know to europe do you want to go and i was like well why can't he go on the tour and he said he got a job driving a zamboni <laughs> and i had no clue what a zamboni was like, oh i didn't grow up around an ice rink sure. or any of these things yeah. and then once i found out i was like that is so canadian <laughs> like here's this guy who's you know 
He's been on, you know, it's his chance to go to Europe of all places, and he's going to give it up to drive a Zamboni. Hey, man, in Canada, that's fucking making it. I mean, absolutely, right? Like, you know, that's the, it, dude. The, the joke's on me. Here I am, twenty plus years later, almost twenty years later, you know, still slumming it out in music, and he's probably driving like the, you know, the Lamborghini of Zambonis. Um, so it was a really crazy, you know, really crazy tour uh, that kind of crisscrossed all these places, but. A few of the shows, Chokehold and the band they were on tour with called Feeding the Fire, Feeding the Fire, uh, played with Snapcase and Refused, who were on tour together. Okay. So pretty massive shows, pretty big shows, and Chokehold being from Canada, Snapcase being from Buffalo, everybody knew each other really well. And then we, you know, as you do when you're a hardcore kid in 1995, everybody like hangs out and has a ton of fun. So... I'd known of Refused by that point, uh, you know, had liked their earlier stuff, and on that trip became friends with Dennis, the singer. Mm -hmm. So, by the way, how do you say his last name? Lixon. Lixon. Okay, yeah. easy enough. Yeah, and if you, you know, if, if he were to say it, it would have a little bit of a Swedish flair sure. on there, like Lixon or something. But um, Lixon is how how you know us us uh, Anglophiles, Yankees, yeah, yeah uh, pronounce it. So. Then he and I had a, like a pen pal relationship. They came to the States in 1996 and supported their record before Shape of Punk to Come uh -huh. called Songs to Fan the Flames of Discontent, which I was a massive fan of. Okay. Fantastic record. Like very, like great metal influenced, but hardcore record. Um, and became friends with David, the drummer as well, who's still a dear friend. Um, and, you know, friends with the other guys, but... Um, Really, it was my relationship with Dennis that was solidified because he we you know would uh, write back and forth and with my record label that I had back then, I released a band from Umio where Refused is from, a band called Separation. So there was this strong tie. So yeah, so then here it is. I, I was trying to think today as I was on my way over. It must have been in the spring of 1998 mm -hmm. that he sent me, you know, the the CD, the finished CD, and. You know, I remember it was in a little flat mailer and it had a nice, you know, handwritten letter from Dennis, which I would pay money to have right now, but I don't. Okay. Um, and then the CD. And, yeah. you know, here I am and I'm living with a couple people in California, you know, and if uh, you probably didn't do enough research, but world famous DJ Steve Aoki and I were actually roommates at, at I that didn't time. know that. Yeah. No. So that he would have been in my fucking intro for you. That's yeah. okay. He and I are living in a room, you know, half the size of the one that we're in now. So think small out there in internet land as you're listening to this. And I mean, he was, you know, he was a hardcore guy as well. And we had other guys in our, in our house and we put on shows all the time. And I remember how excited we were to listen to this record. Because you would like the other stuff so much. Love the other stuff. Right, right. And, you know, we listened to it. And, I, you know, I can't recall my exact reaction, but I can probably assume that it was disappointment. Sure. I was like, what the hell is this? You know, this is not the amazing, straightforward, you know, I was a hardcore kid. I was a hardcore right. kid, kind of true and true. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a massive musical background. I didn't get a ton of exposure to jazz and things that are so prevalent on this record that, you know, now listening back to it and just sort of blown away by. Right. Um, and again, I, I mean, I guess I should say the initial disappointment was, oh, okay, it's different, but continue to listen. And, you know, as I continue to listen, there's so many amazing things that started to, to stand out. Yeah. Um, 
You know, and I was big into uh, the ideas that they were presenting on the record, you know, essentially socialistic ideas, um, you know, little revolutionary hardcore kid in my dorm room or we weren't in a dorm, we were in an apartment. But, you know, and uh, anti-capitalist. Exactly. Right. And so that was super cool. You know, like the, the riffs that are on this record are just really astonishing. Right. Um, you know, and then just. I mean, the drumming is absolutely incredible. And then all of the, you know, uh, the interludes that tie it together, it just makes it like this epic journey. The thing, so the thing that I will say is my, since you picked this, this was my, you know, first exposure to the record and all that stuff. And the thing that I will say after the first listen, after all of the other listens and even going into it, this record is dense. There is so much to it. There's so much to the record from the interludes to all the different songs to to the different pieces of the songs to the liner notes that have manifestos and the way that the one of the manifestos in there lists all the tracks in order that and it, 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 it's just there's so much going on to it that... It, there, it's impossible for you to catch everything at first listen, you know, and here's and like, I guess, fortunately for me, you know, I didn't have the the uh, context, the expectation that this was going to be, you know, like, OK, this is what these guys have done. Let's see what happens now, because that is, you know, that happens all the time to bands. Their, their, their next album, their newest album is something more experimental. It goes in a different way. And it's just like, oh, you know, I like the old stuff and things like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, Refuse was a hardcore band. Sure. That's what they were. I mean, they still are a hardcore band. They will say they're a hardcore band. But right. this was, you know, it was a progression in a way that, you know, many hardcore kids of the time wasn't were not expecting. Mm -hmm. um, but in looking back, you know, as you mentioned, there's so many bands that try to progress and they miss the mark. And these guys didn't miss the mark. I mean, they hit the bullseye that none of us knew where the bullseye was. We weren't even looking at the target. And they hit something in such a amazing way, you know, that only came out in my life over time, you know, and in a way, I'm really happy that we got to do this because I hadn't listened to that record straight through in quite some time. I've heard those songs a ton. I've seen the band probably 60 times in the last three or four years, Sure, you know, through working with them and, and just, you know, I'm a fan of, of their you know, of the band and of their material. So it was really fun to be able to go back. And that's when I was like, holy crap, this is a, this is like an epic journey. Yeah, it really There's is. extreme highs and like really, really cool lows. And they, you know, I mean, now they're cited for, I mean, you know, just influencing so many, so many bands. Um, and it's just incredible what they did with what they were working with in a time that, you know, you weren't using computers in the way that people are recording now. I mean, right. they, they had to really, you know, without knowing the, the, I wasn't there for the process. I mean, it must've just been, you know, uh, fantastic. In Painstaking, but like truly, cause like this is, it's so, it's so ambitious. Like you were saying, like in terms of like what was coming out in the scene and like, so this was released on uh, October 27th, 1998. So, you know, 
put yourselves, you know, back in that back in that spot. But it was so ambitious, and to have all of these elements, you know, that like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna do these different types of songs, you know, and then it's gonna have these interludes, and then the liner notes are gonna have all the stuff that like ties. It's like an Arrested Development episode or something. Everything like ties in together. That you can see that another band. I'm not gonna say a lesser band, but just another band. You know, it it kind of it makes you question like it has the air of like okay we're gonna do this thing oh and we're gonna do this thing oh and we're gonna do this thing oh and we're gonna do this thing and it can get bloated and contrived in certain ways we were trying to make stuff work so like to think that like what was like the premeditation of all this stuff because obviously there was a very specific vision that all of this was hitting and maybe and i think that is what makes it all work is that it's all going towards the same goal and message you know uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I th- you know, you're exactly right. And knowing, you know, what went into it and talking to, you know, David, the drummer and Christopher, <coughs> the guitar player who, you know, painstakingly remember David telling me a story of like them, tr- you know, just spending hours and hours and hours trying to figure out whether, you know, the riff should end on, you know, a, you know, a G or a C or something. Yeah. And like, you know, just almost tormenting themselves yeah. putting it together. And then, you know, David, the drummer is a very politically motivated. Dennis, uh, the singer is incredibly politically motivated and well-read and all of their, you know, I mean, the climate of that time. And what's so interesting to me about this being an epitaph release and is that I, you know, I don't know if anyone could have appreciated what they were being handed. Right. But, you know, as a guy in the, the growing up in the 80s and 90s hardcore scene, like Epitaph was like kind of like, you know, it was punk and it wasn't it wasn't politically charged. I mean, obviously, Bad Religion is somewhat politically charged, sure. but, you know, the Pennywise and the bro him and those sort of things and the offspring, which I, I guess that probably came right after that. Mm-hmm. But it was so, you know, outside of what epitaph really even kind of stood for at the time right you know and that's i mean not to dig and bore too many people i mean that came about because burning heart which was the swedish label the swedish label had a distribution deal with epitaph and eventually fell apart so i don't know if that's the time so it's almost like epitaph was just kind of magically gifted this record that's a that's a that's an interesting way to put it because i mean this is the second uh, like Burning Heart record we did. The first one was was Millencon, which yeah. is a Swedish pop punk band, yeah. you know? And I, I'm not going to say that this couldn't be more opposite, but this is a very, very different type of, of record and sound and release that, you know, just shows you, like, with not just Epitaph, but I guess with... Uh, about burning heart like how diverse you know you can you can have those you can have those different artists on there be and more specifically the releases but like so the album title so obviously they were they were well aware of what they were doing and the album title uh shape of punk to come or a chemical abomination in 12 bursts and that's a reference to uh ornette coleman's 1959 avant-garde jazz album the shape of jazz to come so they knew they were doing this avant-garde thing you know they were very self-aware and conscious of it and uh, the artwork is taken from uh, Teenage Dance Session by uh, Rye Coalition, right? Yep. Uh, let's take a look at that. And then, yeah, it has all of this stuff in the manifesto. It's just, uh, there, there is no, um, every every piece of, of, of the record that a record is from the music to the packaging, like supports, again, this main goal. And I, 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 don't, I don't mean to beleaguer the, the 
idea. Yeah, I think they weren't afraid to, you know, to wear those influences on their sleeves. You know, it was like, yes, this is what has influenced this record and Mm -hmm. we're going to make it so obvious to everybody. Um, And in some senses, you know, I think they caught a little flack from some purists in particular, you know, I mean, they stole the artwork or whatever it may be. But and again, I don't know exactly what the process that the thought process was that went into it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, in so many ways, that's what great artists do is they take something that's kind of like a little less known um, and they reappropriate it or remodel it. So the masses can end up seeing it and then finding out what that was and then either visiting it or not. Well, the other thing about this record is there's so much of this, of the, of the, again, not just the packaging, but the music that is, is referencing or paying homage to other things. You have all of these sound clips from, from other things. You have all these musical things that we'll get to when we get to the tracks. But, uh, uh, what was I going to say after that? Oh, um, the thing that, so you were saying you wanted to do this record and you give it another listen again. Do you remember the last time that you listened to this straight through? You say you listen to tracks here and there. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, and, and by listening to tracks here and there, I mean, really, I've listened to them live. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you yeah know, I've been working with the band uh, in a, you know, co-managerial capacity since 2012 when mm-hmm. they came back and did their massive reunion and now have continued to do shows even through last year. And when right. I saw them and they were on tour with the Deftones, I think that was the last time I saw them. So I've seen so many of these songs played live. And, and in a sense, that seeing them the way that they did that gave me even more of an appreciation to listen to it now because it's just it, it the knowing how it's conveyed live mm-hmm. because in 98 when they broke up and they played you know they played the black cat in october and then they they went down to florida and i mean this story is very well known um right after this record yeah yeah um and you know the psychology from my understanding there is like they had put everything they knew how into this thing and like i don't want to speak out of turn for them but it seems as if like they knew they were sitting on something just incredible Mm -hmm. and you know they came back over here and were playing i mean essentially squats and basements i mean that's the scene they had kind of grown up in and you know whatever you got all this other stuff so they break up mm-hmm. they break up while they're down in florida all of us you know I, I guess it was cell phone era not quite cell phone era so i'm not sure how word traveled um maybe maybe email whatever it was and then we found out they were doing a last show in a basement in harris harrisonburg i always mix it up harrisonburg virginia so a bunch of us traveled out there um people who are now dear friends of mine lived in harrisonburg and lived at the house i didn't even know it at the time and watched this just incredible you know, incredible show in such a different way than the band is incredible now. They're mm-hmm. incredible now because they can play a super small stage, but they can also play a massive stage at a festival, sure. and the energy is still sort of the same. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't remember the last time I listened to it straight through until you invited me on here. Sure, but and so the last thing I'll say before we get to the tracks is, I mean, and I guess this speaks to, you know, the idea you know, or the the concept of like an indie label. And this speaks more to Burning Heart than I guess to Epitaph, because Epitaph is just a distribution, but like they had the latitude to do whatever they wanted and to to go after, you know, it's like it's the true like sort of auteur theory when you have the director who's writing it, directing it, and sometimes producing it, and he can do whatever he wants. And sometimes it works out really, really well because you get these you get these works of art that are just so 
that are that are single-minded. You don't have people in you know, focus groups or people coming in saying, "Hey, change this, fix that." There, I don't know. Maybe some of that happened. I don't fucking know, but I can't assume it's it could have been that much. Uh, so yeah, just wanted to. Give- I, I I don't think it did in any capacity. I mean, no one quote unquote A and R'd this record. And in fact, one of the most interesting asides is, yeah. you know, they list two producers on the liner notes, I believe, Um, you know, a a duo, and I can't remember their names um, because I didn't look at it, but there's so many bands that saw that and then said, oh, we need to go make records with these guys. Uh And, you know, if you really dig in, my understanding is, you know, David, the drummer, and Christopher, the guitar player, really produced the record. I mean, it was their vision. They were the ones that were in there. And, you know, I mean, not taking anything away from the sure. other guys in the band at the time, uh, not taking anything away from the guys who were, you know, that had the studio that were listed as the producers. But if you see all, you know, I don't think these guys, the the producers ever ended up with another record that really did anything. Sure. Yeah. You know, so I just think it's such an interesting thing. You know, the band Poison the Well, if you've ever heard of them or familiar uh-huh. with them, like they flew over there and recorded with those guys. Because, oh, I didn't know that because, because of that? Because they were like, oh my God, you know, we're, that, that's where Refuse did it. And these were the guys that Refuse worked with. Hmm. So. I got to look up what record that was because I do like Poison the Well. Yeah, I can't remember which one it was either. Um, I think they Poison the Well is even some, really some stuff on Epitaph. Mm, I don't think right. so. No, they could have been on something else. Anyway, so let's let's get we're gonna play like yeah. little short clips of these of these songs and just uh, you know whatever whatever kind of take you have just feel free to talk over it. So this is the first track, uh, "Worms of the Sense" faculty slash faculties of the skull, and it's seven minutes long. It's seven minutes five seconds long. Like that's an ambitious start. But to I mean, listen record. to how this even starts. I mean, if you are if you've been listening to a hardcore a band that's playing like straightforward hardcore like metalcore ish stuff. I, I, I got to be careful with how they're not metalcore. They are. Yeah, you know, yeah. They just had a metal influence. Um, but I mean, like, you know, listen to to that kind of come in. It's gonna start. It's starting early. to build. You know, it's like what's gonna happen. And that's not until the one minute mark of the song, yeah. like. Where you, the idea of like so many songs now where they're completely, they're, the writing and the, the composition of them is, is factored around like the iTunes 50, 15 second right. preview and that stuff. When I heard that, yeah. that's, that was insane to me that songs were being written to hit those standards and those marks and things like that. But one thing I'll say about this song and the sound of this, and um, I, I, I certainly hope I'm not taking anything away from them. Or, or anything like that. This is just my sort of uh, my subjective view of this as, you know, someone who grew up with, with whatever my influences were. Uh, I'm going to play a clip at like five minutes and, and like 15 seconds into the song. This sounds just like a Rage song to me, Rage Against the Machine, you know? And like, again, I don't know if that's like a good or a bad thing. I'm sure to some people it's good and some people it's bad, but like from my frame of reference in my context, like 
that repetition of like uh, of that is again to me like very Zach De La Roca and then the fucking that guitar is like no 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 that's like a, like a real Tom Morello thing too and I don't know who got it from who I have an interview with Dennis that was that they talk about how much he and other people in the band like Rage and that they're a particular influence so because I like had to Google those two things yeah like, is there some kind of connection it's a, that's yeah. the first thing that hit me I don't know I, I mean which is so cool because like I don't think I ever listened to it. <laughs> that way you know because sure. in some senses refused is refused and you know zach was in a band called inside out yes. it was a revelation and they band were big, that everybody loves i mean they were a big you know, fans of him, yeah. yeah um but i love that you played that clip because that you know part that builds you know i'm not i can't make the sound of my noise and then kind of goes <laughs> Pew, like right. that it's like so incredible to think you know again it's just where this record starts to build yes you know and and even the first lyric that came you know when you first played it, it's like I've got a bone to pick with capitalism mm -hmm. and a few to break. Like as a guy that was very, you know, I, I'm inspired by lyrics. It's like, holy shit. Like, and that's well written. That's, you, that's you not hit just that one on the mark, yeah. dude. Like, it's, it's witty. It's got all of that stuff going for it. And I mean, appropriately enough, worms of the senses, faculties of the skull. That's an allusion to a line in Hal, uh, Allen Ginsberg poem. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that is just a ridiculous way, a, a appropriately ambitious song to start off like a, a just as appropriately ambitious record. And that takes us into uh, Liberation Frequency. And again, so some context for for you, Mike, because like, you know, we just met and all that. I, I was, you know, I'm born in 85, so I'm of that era. And like, I'm, I'm not a hardcore kid or anything like that. I don't have anything against it. It's just like, I like the, like the, I guess, more popular stuff or like the emo stuff and, and things like that. So like, this song right here, there's a, you know the band Thursday? Of course, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. This part right here and the guitar, it sounds like this song, it reminds me of the song Signals Over the Air, okay. you know, and it, uh, that's just like what came out to me uh, uh, from that. But again, like, I, I, I'm certainly not trying to demean them or anything like that, but like, because like I'm saying, okay, here this sounds like a rage song and this sounds like a Thursday song. Yes, they're both like alternative rock bands, but like that's a that's a wide swath, I guess, of like different uh, sounds or uh, sonic aesthetics to have, I guess, you know? Well, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, the way to look at the Thursday thing is pretty evident. It's like Thursday was massively influenced by this band. Mm. Um, you know, this was out long before Thursday probably yes. was even conceived. But again, I think, you know, the, those parts, those sort of emotional parts you know is probably you know they're they're refused is probably drawing more from the discord 80s rights of spring fugazi there's a one of the things that stood out to me through listening to this record was how much fugazi plays a role in this band That's interesting. Yeah. that i hadn't really ever paid attention to before i know they're massive fans you know they've covered um you know even a song of fugazi uh, I think only live, but I, it's just, it's yeah. And, yeah. and I, I think this is the song. Um, I don't, man, I, it's so funny. I don't, you know, <laughs> like don't want to go on record with too many things in case I'm wrong, but disclaimer, uh, this I'm is almost all sure that anecdotal. this was the song that they thought would be the single and that they would do the oh, video for, um, and then it would make sense. And then the guy who did the video for uh -huh. New Noise, which if you've never seen the video, you've got to watch this video. Watch video yeah. It's epic. 
uh, he was the one that said, no, we're going to do the video for New Noise. That's interesting. Was he like buddies with them? That he yeah, could, I mean, because like that would be weird if like, oh, let's hire this video director. And he's like, no, let's do this one. It's like, fuck you, dude. Like, no, I mean, he's that. like a, he's like a uh, big guy in the in the Swedish mm. music scene um, who's done a lot of music himself and and is also into video. But that was something that came out, um, you know, to me through just casual conversation. That you know, it just it's again like looking back, you're like, oh, okay. I mean. Yeah, that could have easily been as a guy who's involved with bands records all the time and has to help pick what songs we're doing videos for and singles like, yeah, why wouldn't this have been one? Right. And like when you're do when you're thinking of that, like what's going to be the quote unquote breakthrough single or something like that, you know, especially with a record like this and like you're saying with the history they had, like the the sonic history, like that is that is not on the scale of like, you know, a hardcore band or anything like that, the sound of it. And neither is, uh, I guess there's pieces of this, the deadly rhythm that are, but wait a minute. Let's go back to the beginning of this because this has the the jazz intro. Yep. And this also has, this is, is this the song with the double bass solo? Yeah, there's a double bass jazz solo, a stand-up bass jazz solo on this. That's a fucking ridiculous thing to have on I mean, record. That's the stuff that just, you know, at the time when I said I was like kind of disappointed or just you know didn't know what like that just didn't make any sense to me right now I'm you know and over time you appreciate the heck out of it yeah in the middle of a yeah in the middle of a hardcore zone yeah what so oh man like do you remember like specifically were you just like what were they when you first heard this you're like what are they doing like yeah like type thing yeah I mean what is this this isn't you know this is taking away I mean so much of the hardcore that I was into was you know it was about moving straight forward as fast as you could yeah. in a sense you know and this is again you know and I and this, you know New Noise which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about you know has one of the most epic builds but this whole record just kind of takes you on this journey mm -hmm. that I'm, I, I don't think I was prepared for yeah and so that gets us into Summer Holiday vs. Punk Routine. Which I love this track song. Track four. I mean, this is just, you know. Like, again, that now, 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 now. That to me, again, is kind of like Rage Against the Machine-ish. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in a sense. It's also got, that's a lot of Fugazi right there. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know what? That's, that's a yeah. better way to put it. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. And the lyrics on this one are cool, too. It's really hard to pick and choose the songs on this record uh, because, again, like of their of like the, their density and how how much there is going to them. I had a note that I wrote down that it would be hard for one to listen to for one to give this record one listen and say, I get it. You know, like th there's so much you have to like go back. And I was trying to find like a good analogy of like another like TV show or movie that you have to do that with where it's like there's so much packed into there and like you go back and it's like you're rewarded each time with listening to it because like you find this other thing. You're like, oh, my God, that connects with this thing and all that. I'm not a uh, film connoisseur myself, <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite movies, yeah. The Big Lebowski, was okay. that way as well. Yes. When yeah, I first watched it, it, I I didn't get it. I didn't quite grasp the entire thing. And after having watched it hundreds of times, mm -hmm. you still find, you know, yeah. amazing nuggets that are just placed throughout. that are just in there. And it's again, it's like a sort of single minded theory of just like, OK, this is how this thing's going to be. 
and just being able to execute that. Perfectly. But hold on, before oh, you go oh, into the oh, next oh, one, oh. Uh, the lyric on Summer Holidays versus Punk Routine is rather be forgotten than remembered for giving in, which, you know, that's pretty freaking epic. There's a lot of really good sort of like anthems or uh, like in now in like the political atmosphere where we're at now, like I do, I do like photography and I'll go out and shoot like all these like protests and rallies. Like there's half of this record you could slap up on a fucking white sign and like just like hold up there you know and it, it's it, it's it really is like incredible that because you need to be you have so much to say and to be able to be concise with that stuff to put it into like that little couplet that you had like that's that's something on its own and so yeah so now we get into like this uh another one of these interludes what do you think of these now these sort of like because you, you've got Brutalist, and at the end, you've got uh, Tannhauser Derive. Yeah. Derive. Uh, yeah, what's your take on these? I mean, I still think they're cool. It's, I would, I, I'll say this. Do you skip over them? No. Okay. Well, I mean, again, I didn't <laughs> listen to the entire record again until today. I mean, I think it's really cool. You know, it's well done. Again, it's sort of like allowing you to breathe a little bit. That's the note I had. It's a breath of fresh air from all the rage that's yeah. coming out. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It, it just lets you say like, okay, cool. Like, I, <laughs> you know, I don't know what's happening. It's not offending me. It's not, you know, pumping me up. It's not, you know, frankly, it's like you said, it, allowing you to breathe. It's it, Well, you, you said it first, but <laughs> that, yeah, I had that note in there. It's It's truly like an intermission in the way an intermission is supposed to be. Like you're like stretching your legs a little bit and things like that, and you're just coming up for air, and then uh, that gets us into the big track here, a new noise. love it like you were expecting it to just go into it and, and here they go they're like hold on just kidding yeah hold on wait for it wait for it because it's coming yeah and it fucking hits hard So that comes in again about a minute into it. Yeah. Do you, I feel like with bands and you're, you're like an, an industry guy, sure. you know, and I'm, I'm just a consumer of this stuff, but like, I, I and I don't know if this is like a, an, an iTunes thing or whatever, like with smaller bands, like they don't give as much a, a shit about that stuff. But right. I have seen this trend of like, 
I don't know if people are afraid, but they're certainly averse to having these like buildups in a song where like, you know, it's like almost like you need to get to the point, like straightforward. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I I think in the, you know, kind of punk hardcore, um, whatever, you know, alternative world, I don't think it's as, you know, if you're radio driven in particular, then of course. Um, but you know, that said like, yeah, it took a minute, but Nobody was bored during that first minute. No, you know, no, and, I'm not saying it's bad at all. I think it's great. No, I, I'm just saying, oh. you know, that's usually, you know, hey, don't bore us, get to the chorus. Like, uh-huh. we don't want to hear your crappy verse. We don't want to hear any of this stuff. You know, we we need the the big, you know, all all consuming, you know, uh, catchy chorus. And this leads you right to it. Yeah. Like the stupid little horse that I am, they walk me right to the water. <laughs> And they shove my head under, and it's fantastic. Uh, so, uh, so in this song is also uh, a clip from uh, Apocalypse Now. So this came out in ninety uh, in ninety eight, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, I'm just gonna play a little bit in the background. So they had the the clip from Apocalypse Now, and maybe at that point, like that was still kind of like a novel thing to do, right? Do you think that's like like kind of like a cliche thing to do now? Do you think people can like drop clips like that into songs or, or something like that without it seeming like, you know, kind of lame or, or like you're you're sampling a little bit too much? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's so hard to like remove it from like the from what it is. I mean, I think it's so tastefully done. Oh, here, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but also, there's 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 not that much context of other people doing right. that, where it's become like a trope now. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I that's the thing. It's like, oh, if this record was even made yeah. today, yeah. I mean, I it would still be an incredible record. But would it get lost in the noise? Would it? You know, who knows? That's what's so. I mean, that's what I love about it is, it had you know it. It had to come at the, the time, and the world had to be, like, not expecting it. And so many things had to align in order for it to just be what it is. Right. I mean, that's what, that, you know, there's probably other pieces of art that... Are victim to their, to the uh, to the atmosphere in which they were released in or things like yeah. that. Yeah, or didn't even make it to release mm, because it yeah. just sat in somebody's head. Yeah. And they didn't have two or three other people to collaborate with, and they didn't have whatever it may have been. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this song is so cool because the buildup at the end, which I don't know if you were going to play, you know, it's like they include the the cheering, mm-hmm. um, which... I mean, you might as well just play the whole song. <laughs> you can go back and edit this. <laughs> uh, before that. Before that. Right. So right before that. Go back about 20 seconds. Still before this? Yeah. That's the part. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah, with the crowd noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how cool is that? You're including crowd noise on your record. And I think that... You gotta be a badass to get away with that. You have to have balls, too, because you can obviously also be seen as, like, very... Uh, like hubristic, like oh, you're putting this, you're you're putting this crowd of people cheering yeah, for you. On this you know, record. Trump got eaten alive yeah, from yeah, that yeah, shit, yeah, yeah. which you ra- rightfully so. But sure. I'm just saying, like you know, it's it's uh, it fits so well. But yes. you're right, you could have 
been just torn apart for why on earth do you have that in there? But it makes the part fucking epic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, yeah. You got anything else on new noise? I mean, we could go Let's all go day. I mean, just don't listen to the Crazy Town cover. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, man. I know. I'm going to send you down the wormhole of... You don't know how all. much I wish I had a clip of that right now. I'm sure I could just fucking Google it. But we're going we're gonna to move past that. You yeah. guys can find it and just get to the Refuse Party program. It's like controlled chaos. And this is like this is like the baby of the tracks, because this this song's yeah. only two minutes thirty-eight seconds. Everything else except for, you know, like the interlude is well over that, you know. And uh And it's still going. But again, it's like you just have this like controlled chaos that goes and then they leave you not with silence. Mm -hmm. You know, they leave you with that you know to just keep you like somehow engaged like tied to it remembering that you're still breathing that you're alive and then you know all right here comes <laughs> that's an interesting way of doing it so it's it's almost as if they're like they're giving you that time to to like have this self-awareness perspective of like you're listening to this song that's an interesting way of putting it uh and then we get to protest song 68 and so this drum beat, yeah. like as a guy that toured in a hardcore band from 98 onward, you couldn't go to a show and have kids set up without trying to do that. Do yeah. Like annoyingly so. Might've just been because the drummer in our band was doing it sure, one entire sure. tour. <laughs> but you would hear it so many times. So that, that little spoken text at the beginning is from Tropic of Cancer by Henry Miller. Another another reference to, to something in there. So again, just really packing it in. Something that a lot of records can be kind of subject to, and I'm going to ask what your opinion is for this record, is you can have records that are top loaded that are kind of middle loaded or whatever from like you know tracks two through four and things like that or sometimes end loaded do you think that this is just even all the way i know i know that you kind of know yeah. these dudes so like, well yeah. i i would have said that it was um you know like tanhauser ends up what it's like Dirt 12 eight. minutes it's eight minutes okay so yeah. only eight minutes for some reason uh, Oh, and then whatever's on the end. Apollo um, program was a hooks, yeah. Okay. But, you know, I would have probably said, I used to, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if I used to think that the record ended there. I mean, we'll get to it, but I don't sure. know. I mean, it's so hard to know now. Um, I feel like it's, I feel like it's pretty freaking even throughout. Yeah. Okay. And I guess I, what I'm trying to say is like, maybe previously I didn't give Tannhauser as much credit as, as, I do now, especially after seeing the way that they do it live. Uh -huh. 
it's just what is the way in which they do it? well i mean it de- it depends but when they came back and did their you know big reunion um right with the new record yeah i mean yeah. Or, or i can't remember at some point that was the song that they ended with you know oh okay instead of new noise mm-hmm. um and just you know they go through and every, you know i mean they've been at it for 60 minutes you know they're lying you know if you haven't seen this band if you appreciate any of this if you i mean the drummer just is a fucking beast you know just smashing the drums he's such an you know he's so incredible to watch dennis you know if you've seen any of his bands he's all over the place you know mm-hmm. treating his body like you know just a way that it probably shouldn't be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so at the end of a, of a 45, 60 minute set, like they are spent. Yeah. Just wiped out. You know, Dennis's shirt's unbuttoned or off and sweat and, you know, everybody's just drained. The crowd's feeling it too. And then they just fucking, you know, that track and we're not quite there yet, yeah. but of the violin and it's just like, holy fuck. It's like, it's like, it's like a cigarette after, you know, doing the D, (laughs) but this is a banger of a track too. Refused or fucking dead. Yeah. I mean, just listen to that, you know, that guitar right there. That's not a hard, you know, that is not the sound that you're hearing on any like straightforward hardcore band. Right. And the title of the song is reference to the born against song, born against or fucking dead. So here's the riff. So good. It's good. Here's what I'm gonna say to this though, and I'm hope hopefully you're gonna people are gonna say I'm wrong. I hope I'm not ruining this song. This riff sounds like sounds like the prototype of like the riff that's in like every like rap rock song, you know? <laughs> well, well I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, and again, maybe those guys are drawing for, I'm from sh- this. I'm sure they are. I I I, I have little doubt yeah. that they're not. But like. This is just yeah. like, this is, there's so, and then this part too. Listen to that bass line. Like the syncopation of the rhythm section over this like noodling guitar. Like these really contrasting things. It's just. But I think what's so incredible is you're taking guys who are, if not the best, you know, in the top five of their craft within a genre Mm -hmm. and putting them together and having all of the best, you know, the the sum is surely greater than the parts Mm -hmm. and the parts themselves are so amazing. You know, it's like these are just... They're the best freaking, you know, I mean, hands down, like probably the best drummer in hardcore, like, mm-hmm. you know, paired with one of the best front men and screamers in hardcore. I mean, that scream that Dennis Lixon has. Yeah. Is unrivaled. So I'm actually I got a quote here from him from an interview he did with this uh, that was on this website called the PRP. 
And this actually speaks to something you were saying before, but uh, again, this is from my Googling Rage Against the Machine and, and, uh, and Refused. And so he says this, he says, yeah, when Rage Against the Machine came out, that was a big deal. I saw Rage Against the Machine right when the first record came out. And the only reason I saw them was because it was Zach from Inside Out. I loved Inside Out. They're one of Refused's favorite bands, actually. We loved Inside Out. We loved playing Inside Out songs. So we went down to Stockholm to see Rage uh, in front of 45 people. And we hung out with them all night because, you know, we were wearing our hardcore shirts and they were like, oh, you guys are hardcore kids. So that speaks to yeah. like the importance of identification, at least at that point of like, oh, you're wearing this shirt. OK, you're cool. You're in You're 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 hip to all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, as wild as it is, as I got into hardcore <coughs> living in Korea and, you know, then moving to Kansas. I mean, these guys are from the freaking north of Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> and dude, I mean, if, <laughs> if you've never point. been to Sweden, like Stockholm's far from here. Mm -hmm. Umeå's eight hours north of Stockholm. Yeah. I mean, eight hours, that's really long way, mm -hmm. you know, up almost towards the Arctic Circle. And so when you hear them talk about getting into music and getting into hardcore and doing, taking the sacrifices that they had to take, I can relate, but it's just, it's even more mind blowing to me that not only that, but then you just get, you know, one of the very best hardcore bands of all time mm -hmm. that came from there. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, it really is incredible. I mean, of course, Sweden just you know their support their government support of the arts you know and through i mean they my understanding and from having played at their swedish like youth centers i mean you know whereas here everything's like sports driven and you know yeah anything yeah, yeah. else i mean they actually You're encourage right. people huh. to pick up instruments and you know there's no secret why so much of the best i mean you know music most popular music in the world is either coming from sweden or you know, the, the songwriters are, are Swedes. It's pretty interesting that there's like, so you have like all of this like swath of like, you know, all of these like metal bands that are huge right now. And like a lot of them are just Nordic, but like a lot of from Sweden. And then one of the biggest bands in the world ever, ABBA, completely <laughs> opposite end of it, but they're still fucking Swedish, yeah. you know, yeah. and all that. And so now we're getting to the title track, the titular shape of punk to come. I play I play like drums and just listening to the way he's hitting the snare drum you know what it's kind of it, 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 it's kind of interesting to me I think it almost kind of sounds like he's m struggling to make sure his snare and his drums are heard over uh, the screaming you know like he's like I, these aren't loud enough I have to hit them hard enough because his screaming is so loud it's got to go over that it's like they're trying to uh, trying to break through but yeah Also, here's another another note I had, and this again is just drawing from my own like context of stuff. Uh, there's a lot in here that I will say it's the reverse that this band got it from them, but I hear a lot of like kind of like Queens of the Stone Age stuff in there too. You yeah. know, do, do do you get any of that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not. Uh, I don't have to be their biggest fan or anything. No, like that, but, but I, you're, I, you're aware of them. Of course, yeah. no. I mean, I think what you're getting is, you know 
these guys, there is a a rock vibe to this. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, that is prevalent throughout. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't know, it's just so fun to just listen to it. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is I think that's another note I had verbatim. This is a fun record. It's dense and it's fun. And so now we're into the eight-minute sort of, you put this this isn't like uh hold on but you skipped oh did you start right at the beginning no yeah start right at the beginning sure thing yeah that was silly of me not to play that i mean so here you are you're a hardcore kid now you know first they've had the stand-up bass the double bass you know the jazz beats and now a fucking violin yeah get the fuck out of (laughs) here but listen to it now how beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's it's like the epilogue to this. You and know? how big does that sound? Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk about hitting drums hard. And then there's a, there's a cello that's coming in now. So how is this played live? They have like all the it's string tracked. instrument. Oh, it's yeah, tracked. It's tracked. Okay. okay. Yeah. Do you know if they've ever done it with like people playing the stringed instruments live? Um, I feel that if they haven't, they've wanted to. I'm so, sure. Yeah. So Chris, the guitar player, um, one of his many things that he does in life now is he directs operas in Sweden. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Um. So it's just, you know, it, it, I feel like maybe they did it in Sweden with um, an orchestra, but I might be wrong there. I might be thinking something else. Sure. This is, this is like, you know, so imagine, like I said, you know, the end of a set, they're just wiped out. That, you know, that track comes in right. with the violin and then David starts playing those drums right. and then it, you know. It's always the drummer that has to get left up there to do yeah. that stuff while everybody goes back yeah, yeah, yeah. and like takes like a quick. Well, drive. they're not even off the stage, I don't think. I mean, I think they're just like laying there, like oh, literally, yeah. <laughs> like we are KO'd. You know, the lights are down, comes back up, and then again, they, you know, even in the prologue, I mean, sorry, the epilogue, like they're they're still taking you on the journey. They're still mm-hmm. building. Here you go, man. It's like uh, it's like when you're watching the end of a movie, and then there's like. Uh, like, oh, there's the one bad guy that you forgot about, and he comes and attacks Absolutely. you. There's you, like you, you this thought extra you were done. Line. You yeah, you thought you were done. done. Exactly. Oh no, no. You know, now they're full on. They're back up on their feet. Dennis is running all over the place. Guitar players are freaking going crazy. It's like, and then another just freaking incredible line. Boredom won't get me tonight. And again, it, it, you're expecting something bigger and then just whoop, you get yep. dropped off the cliff. Any other any other parts of this you think I should uh, get to? Uh, just make sure I cover of this, of this yeah, song. Yeah, I mean, skip through and... I keep going. Like, I mean, this is towards the end. What are, where are we at, like six minutes? But yeah, go back. Go back just a little. A little bit more. This is like where it builds again. Yeah. You like the build-ups. I, I mean, I, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I just think it's interesting. Like, they, they do it in a way... I mean, I... Oh, well, hold on. Let's 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 put a spotlight on that. So it's got the um, oh, what is that called? Uh, um, pizzicato when you when you have a violin and you pluck it with your fingers and that is what leads in uh, uh, Yeah, to this to this whole thing. It's almost like a it's almost like the it's almost like the hammer being pulled back on a gun, you know? It's like yeah. That's a great tone. That, that, yeah. That's that's in that range. like that right there that's like in that's like like an operatic metal song you know that's yeah. like it, it it's uh, whatever labels i get it but like to have that dun 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 you know there's drama to it and all that um and so finishes the record out with uh an interesting track i'll say that the apollo program was a hoax <laughs> there's that upright bass again the double bass Oh, and, and on that, that Ten Houser track, there's Rites of Spring that was on there, too, Stravinsky. Yeah. I like listening to, to it in these headphones, though. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I was in my little... Uh, Apple AirPods. Oh yeah, those. Yeah, and you just. How do you normally listen to stuff like in the car? Or like you, you yeah. have like good speakers. No, <laughs> I have speakers in my office that are decent. But do you ever listen to things on like over-the-ear headphones? Not very often. Get yourself a pair. Man. I know. I think I'm gonna have to. This is especially with the with the new kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think you know when you talk about me referencing that I like the the build-ups. It's like as a guy that still works with a lot of heavy music. I think that there's a lot of people that, that don't understand kind of that that play mm-hmm. and that you know again it's like you're taking somebody on a journey mm-hmm. um it's it's like it's drama and there's it's like musical showmanship yeah. you know where i think now again this is this is my own take on it like people want people want things to be leaner you know and stuff like that it's like get to it it's not even like just like don't bore us get to the chorus but just like any kind of bloat or like something like that things like that can be seen as uh i think it can be seen as like again like hubristic or just like you know uh, over the top or or something like that well and again like these guys are more than capable of you know, starting at zero and getting to 60 in three seconds and, you know, going on and, and pounding you over the head. I mean, David, the singer, um, has a hardcore band that Dennis plays in called Final Exit. Mm-hmm. That's worth checking out. I mean, okay. it's, you know, it's, it, uh, it's, you know, 
decent hardcore from from back then but uh you know i'm just listening to this yeah um but uh yeah i don't know it's cool that they yeah it's just cool <laughs> i think that's a i think that's a good way of putting it is like it's just cool and you know like this this album i think rightfully so gets its due kerrang you know, put put it as like number 13 on their 50 most influential albums of all time in 2003. Uh, LA Weekly had it as like the 12th best punk punk album in history. And let me tell you something: when I'm looking for my punk news, I go straight to LA Weekly, <laughs> baby. <laughs> and uh, the Phoenix New Times put it in the fifth best political punk album of all time. Yeah, I mean, I think what's so interesting is that you know, so many people that are that are. Um, writing about culture and writing um you know creating content in that world now maybe not even now but it throughout the 90s into the 2000s you know this was a record that they had heard and right. had had sat with them mm -hmm. and you know so then once they got to a point where their voice could be heard they wanted the world to know yes it is you know the 12th most you know best record in, in the la times right right uh, so I'm in, I do this, I do this thing with some buddies of mine, the guys in Jews and Reviews, which is another podcast on the network. And we have like this little film club, right? And the idea behind the film club is, uh, it's supposed to like expose, you know, it's just the three of us, like here's some movies we like. And then there's two movies per month. And then the third one, that's like a new release that you're looking forward to. And, uh, there's a lot of shitty movies that's been picked so far <laughs> to be completely frank. I'm not naming names. But some shitty movies were picked. Uh, but one of the movies was uh, a big one that's like gonna be contending for best pictures. This movie Lion. I don't know if you've seen it yet. I haven't. It was, and I had known about it, but I don't think I would have ever seen that movie had it not, you know, kind of been assigned in this like film club. Moving forward to this, I don't think I, I don't know if I would, when I would have gotten to this record had you not put it out there. And so just like. I'm, thank you for coming on, but thank you for picking this record. Like this is this is fucking incredible and amazing, and like I, I, I speaks to like what, one of the reasons I'm doing this this show is to like be exposed to all this stuff that I'm sure I'd like. I just haven't gotten to it yet. And man, oh man, this record like puts the pin in it, dude. So thanks yeah, again. <laughs> thank you as well. I mean, it was really fun for me to go and revisit it you know, in this capacity. Yeah. So, so you have your own podcast. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, I have a, a music business podcast called Managemental with my buddy Blasco. Blasco is famous for playing bass in Ozzy Osbourne's band. Okay. Uh, he's played with uh, plenty of other people, including Rob Zombie and a number of others, Metal Guy. But he and I both manage a lot of artists, predominantly in the kind of heavier world. So we're, we're doing, um, you know, just uh we get on there and rap kind of about things that are in the industry i have another one as oh. well um called omar's the spot oh i did is, see that yeah that's me and two of the people that work with me we get on each week and kind of talk about what happened that week at our company okay um yeah i'm a huge fan of podcasts it's a great thing so i'll tell you what for each of those two podcasts uh, can you think of i'm putting you on a spot a little bit here a specific episode that you think people should check out if they're going to check out those podcasts. Yeah, Omar's The Spot, uh, episode 10. Episode 10. Uh, with Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills, which is one of the bands that we manage. Okay. And uh, Managemental, that's a really tough one, but I'd say go to episode 
two. Oh, early on. Yeah, I mean, we're, both of those are, we're not even at 10 episodes on Managemental right now. Okay. Um, but that's talking about the, quali- the qualities you should look for in a manager. Okay. So as a manager in the business, we talked about that so we could, you know, let everybody know what was going on. Do you have Twitter, Instagram, website? Where, where are people going to go and yep. look and find uh, you? Website, outerloop.group. My company is Outerloop Management. Um, we also do a record label and coaching. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Oloop. Mike Oloop. Yep. Mike, thanks again, man, for coming and doing this. This was a ton of fun. And I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, sorry, Tom Mullen. Beat you to it, bro. (laughs) (laughs) History's greatest artistic works. Citizen Kane. Hamlet. The Flare Steamboat Trilogy. We'll only be discussing one of these on our new podcast, The Best There Ever Was. We discuss the art of professional wrestling and the emotional connection that brings us back to it. On season one, we're talking about the greatest matches ever by members of the WWE Hall of Fame. But definitely not Coco Beware. I'm Facts. And I'm Chris. And join us, the Curtain Jerks, as we discuss wrestling's greatest matches on The Best There Ever Was on the Atlantic Transmission Network. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production.